You're listening to one of the last radio transmissions from Westchester County Police Officer Gary Stimulowski. I'm on on February 24th, 1985, Stimulowski had just pulled over Alex Mengel on the Sawmill River Parkway. First name, Alex. His last call was cryptic. Couple shotguns in the trunk. I always want to have somebody uh, stand by while we check the car. Less than 20 minutes later, after countless efforts to reach him. Welcome to the first episode of Nefarious New York, a true crime and mysterious happenings podcast covering cases from our home state of New York. I'm Meredith, and I'm here with Allison, my accomplice since kindergarten. Hello. Hello. Uh, what you just heard was an excerpt of a crime that took place on February 24th, 1985. Today, we are covering this case, the case of Alex Mengel, and I chose this case because Personally, I remember it from when we were growing up, Al. Mm -hmm. uh, we were 10 years old at the time, and we grew up only a few miles from where it all started. Much of our information comes from extensive research that you did, as well as reading the book Unearthing a Serial Killer by David Paul and Kevin F. McMurray. Uh, we're going to get right to it because we do have a lot, of, uh, lot to cover. On February 24th, 1985, around 7 p.m., Officer Stimulowski was doing his routine patrol of the Sawmill River Parkway in Yonkers, New York. He sees a blue Mercury Capri speeding and changing lanes without a blinker. So he pulls the Capri over and walks up to the car, and when he does this, he observes four occupants and live shotgun shells on the floorboard. Stimulowski asks the driver who is Alex Mengel, to get out of the car and produce his license and registration. Mengel tells Stimulowski that the group had just returned from a hunting trip to upstate New York and that he had shotguns in the trunk. So Stimulowski observes the three shotguns when Mengel opens the trunk. So at this time, Stimulowski returns to his cruiser to do a radio check. Mengel comes over to the cruiser, and Stimulowski tells him that he, he knows that he doesn't have a license and the Capri is going to be impounded. So here's where it gets crazy. Mengel returns to his vehicle, reaches in, grabs his handgun, and says to the occupants in the car, I'm going to shoot this guy. So he tells his friends that once they hear the gunshot, they should drive the Capri back to the Bronx. So Mengel approaches Stimulowski while he's in the cruiser, and he's obviously distracted. He places his pistol to his left temple and pulls the trigger. Oh, my God. So basically at, at point-blank range. Mengel then shoves the dying officer to the passenger seat, gets in the car, and drives. He abandons the car a few blocks away, and he then flees on foot. Just a bit about Officer Gary Stimulowski. 
At the time of his death, he was only 27 years old and had just proposed to his girlfriend. He had been a police officer for five years. Gary was a lifetime resident of Yonkers, New York. His talents as an officer were recognized early, and he won the title of Police Officer of the Year in 1984. In addition to his regular duties, he worked as a youth officer. To his family, fiancé, friends, and fellow officers, he was a dedicated man. Investigators believe that Mengel spends the night in a rundown shed on or near the property of the Yonkers Motor Inn, only a half a mile away from where he abandoned the cruiser. Um, so the police locate the vehicle, um, locate Officer Stimulowski. He's taken to the hospital, and eventually he does succumb to his injuries. So Mengel ended up in Dobbs Ferry, about seven miles from Yonkers. He saw a new Toyota Tercel in the parking lot of IBM, and investigators believe he entered the vehicle, disabled the front passenger side door so that it could only be opened from the outside, and then just waited for the car's owner. After 8 p.m., Beverly Capone leaves the IBM office where she's working, and she gets into her Toyota Tercel, and as she's getting into the vehicle, Alex Mem Mengel comes up behind her with a gun and forces her into the front passenger seat. He then drives two hours north. So, Al, two hours they're in the car together. They, so, again, he does head north, and once he is in upstate New York and East Durham, Mengel takes Beverly to a cabin that he has broken into in the past, and uh, we later find out that he, he has used during his hunting trips. Once in the cabin with Beverly, it is believed that Mengel murdered her, mutilated, and disposed of her body, and then kept going north. Right. Her body is found two weeks later after a lengthy search by tracking dogs, a half a mile from the cabin, hidden in the base of a stone wall in a heavy wooded area. Mm -hmm. We learn that she has been stabbed to death, scalped, and defaced. Mm. Now, I have thought about this case, you know, on and off throughout the years, and immediately what always comes to my mind is the movie Silence of the Lambs. Right. That didn't even come near my brain, but... Well, and this is, again, this is in the mid-'80s, so this is even before the movie had even come out, but... I, during my research, did see that Hannibal Lecter character is based on Alex Mengel. You thinking that is the absolute correct thought to have. But um, very, very interesting. You're a very good researcher, Al. Oh, thanks. <laughs> in addition, while searching the cabin in East Durham, investigators found Beverly Capone's IBM ID card in the bottom drawer of a dresser, and her fingerprints and blood were also found inside the cabin. Um, a little bit about Beverly Capone, what we were able to find. Um, there are some photos on the Internet. Uh, she was the oldest of eight children, and her parents divorced. When they did divorce, all of the siblings were placed into foster care, and Bever Beverly and her sister ended up in Mount Vernon, New York. She married young. She had a daughter and did eventually, unfortunately, get divorced, but she did have a daughter, and she was a computer programmer at IBM. And um, that's what I was able to find. 
On February 26th, a day after abducting and killing Beverly, a 13-year-old girl was delivering papers near Buffalo, New York, when a white car pulled up alongside her. The driver pointed a gun at her and told her to get into the car, and fortunately, she does. She, she ran away, um, which I know you would hope that your kids would do as well. Oh, absolutely. Well, so what she did see was the driver was a man disguised as a woman wearing a wig of long black hair, lipstick, and a dress. Hmm. So she went to the police and reported it, and they put a photo array or basically like a lineup but with photos together, and she managed, even with his disguise, she managed to pick Mengel out of the lineup. Okay. Now – Before we kind of get to the conclusion of the case, as we're learning, we're not we're not dealing with a model citizen here. Right. And to make heads or tails out of crimes and and horrible things that happen, you always want to try to make sense of it by saying, okay, what was this guy's background? Do we know anything about his childhood? And I know that you did some research, obviously. What I was able to find about Mengel's background is that on January 29th, 1955, he was born in Guyana on South America's coast. Isn't it he, Guyana? I don't know. <laughs> he came to the U.S. in November 1976, and once here, he settled in the Bronx. In the late 70s, he got married and had a son. After the birth of his son, around 1980, Mengel attacked his wife. He bit her and tried to strangle her with a wire. And this comes out that it's because she wouldn't have sex with him after she had just had the baby. So after many years of domestic abuse, he was arrested in May of 1984 for fracturing his wife's jaw. Oh, my God. And after that, she did take the baby and go into hiding. You know, it's funny. I also, I also had read that she was, at the time this was happening— she was petrified. She was in hiding because she was afraid that he was going to kill her eventually. Oh, definitely. Absolutely. We want this information about their childhood because a psychiatrist, John McDonald, came up with the McDonald triad, which is three things that would indicate you have a psychopath or a serial killer on your hands. Um, You need to have two or more of them. So the first one is a history of fire setting. Okay. The second one is cruelty to animals, and the third one is bedwetting past a certain age. Well, I would probably have two of those things, so does that make me a serial killer? <laughs> I know yours isn't the cruelty to animals. It's definitely not the cruelty to animals because I am an animal lover. When were you setting fires? I did when I was a kid. I found my Psycho. mom, like, parents' matches, and I used to set, like, little fires in the backyard. And I definitely wet my bed. (laughs) You wet your bed too, huh? I did. I gotta. Yeah, but I gotta. I don't know. I don't like being under these tents. I think I should keep an eye on you now. (laughs) (laughs) I'll post pictures of our tents on Instagram and Facebook. Yeah, yeah. But so just to kind of try to find something um, about Mengel's life. So we have this McDonald triad, and we're supposed to have two or more of them. And looking in Mangle's background, we were basically given such little information. But what I did find was 
as an adult, his friends knew him as an avid outdoorsman and hunter, but he did take it a step further. He really enjoyed skinning the animals. Like he took a lot of pleasure in skinning them. That you're a sick individual if you do that. As far as I, that that makes me so angry. Yeah. I like I w- I want to kill him myself. Well, you could see where he used it though in scalping Beverly and defacing absolutely her. but it still pisses me off yeah, and the a... fact that he would enjoy something like that i mean mm-hmm. I, I can't even look at roadkill and people people kind of laugh at me for that but it it's very upsetting to me and if you can kill an animal and skin it and enjoy it something wrong you're a savage right another weird thing that his friend said he did was he would handcuff himself and then practice picking the lock to free himself okay so those are just those are the, really the only two things that um, we could find out of Mengel's history. So, Mayor, how does this case end? On March second, nineteen eighty-five. Now he's already killed Beverly Capone. He has also already tried to abduct a little girl, mm-hmm. um, and now he is headed to Canada. So on March second, nineteen eighty-five, Toronto Constable Clive Richards starts his shift. And he's told to be on the lookout for a white Toyota Tercel with New York plates, which would be Beverly's car that Mengel is now driving. Richards is driving around a shopping center parking lot, and he actually sees Mengel sitting in the Toyota. And he could tell pretty quickly that he had to call for backup. Um, He does call for backup, and he circles the rows of cars again. Uh, Richards eventually finds the car again so Richards circles a row of cars and he finds Mengel and there's a high speed chase Mengel's car skids on ice it crashes and he's actually still has a gun so at this point the gun flies out of the car Mm -hmm. after the crash Mengel surrenders so Al after the cops search the Toyota they find what was later ID'd as Beverly's scalp and her New York State driver's license with Mengel's face posted over Beverly's. Now, so today you would say, what kind of an idiot would fall for something like that? And this, around this time, you know, the 80s and then even the 90s, this is, the, you know, the time when I remember wanting to get into bars and people doing fake IDs all the time. Right, absolutely. I didn't because I was probably 16 looking like I was six. So I couldn't, I couldn't no. do no, it. No, you couldn't, no way. Did you do it? You, I, of course I did it. I- I'm telling your mother. To, to, to get back into this, so Mengel is now detained in Toronto and on March 26th, the Canadian courts decide to send him back to the United States because he has to be tried now for the murder of Officer Stimulowski and also Beverly Capone. Right. So on the 27th of March, so the next day, Canadian officers take Mengel to a bridge at the U.S.-Canadian border and they hand him off to the New York officers. They then board a flight from Buffalo to LaGuardia. He, was first, he is first charged with Officer Stimulowski's murder in Yonkers. And then on April 26, 
upstate officers arrive in Yonkers to transport Mengel to the Catskill Court for Beverly's murder, because obviously that's where the murder took place. Um, so just to set the scene, he's on his way back to the Westchester Jail now. The car is transporting Mengel. It has one officer driving and one riding in the back seat. Mengel is handcuffed and shackled. Somehow, he headbutts the officer in the back with him. He pounces on the officer, and he begins biting him and grabbing for his service weapon. With his hands handcuffed? Yes. Yeah? So Hmm. both men are trying to get the weapon, and there's some kind of a... Some kind of a struggle going on here. So Mengel keeps biting and ripping at the officer's flesh. So the driver sees what's happening. He's able to stop the vehicle, and in one swift motion, he turns around, and he ends Mengel's life with one shot to the head at 3.38 p.m. So you would think that all of this is horrible enough. Mengel is now dead. Right, but is that the end? It is not the end. Oh, and so there's more. Yes, so there are some more potential victims and theories here, and these are things that you discovered, which were very, very interesting, so I uh, want you to talk about that. So as for potential theories and victims still surrounding this case, in Flushing, Queens... On July 16th, 1984, which I think is seven months before Mengel shot Officer Stimulowski, Mm -hmm. Antonella Matina, 12-year-old girl, was bringing her family's business deposits to the bank, and she never came home. After Mengel's picture was in the paper in February of 1985, a resident who had, who was a, so a resident who was a witness of Antonella's disappearance picked Mengel out and said that he was the person that he had seen with Antonella when she disappeared. I mean, you can't deny that. Right. And to, to like, add more to it, Mengel's brother Gustav lived a few blocks from where Antonella was last seen. Okay. And at the time of Antonella's disappearance, Mengel was not staying with his wife any longer. He was staying with various people and friends and he was known to stay with his brother, Gustav. So he very well could have been in the area. Absolutely. And his brother, Gustav, I don't know if this is connected at all or just unfortunate genetic pool, but Gustav is a registered sex offender living in Florida. He, mm. In 2001, he was convicted of two counts of sexual battery on a 13-year-old girl. And in 2011, he again was convicted of sexual battery on a child less than 12 years old. I don't believe there are coincidences, and I don't know. It just sounds too promising to me that they absolutely could have had something to do with her disappearance. Right. And in speaking with the authors of that book, Mm -hmm. Unearthing a Serial Killer, I think that they're going to be pursuing pursuing this a bit further in in the future. Okay. Maybe a documentary or another book or something. So do we know what happened to Antonella? The, in November of 87, which is two and a half, three years later, her remains were found um, off the Taconic State Parkway in Yorktown. Wow. So this parkway is the same one that Mengel would use to go hunt upstate. It's probably the same one he used when he took Beverly right. upstate New York. 
and it is the same one that he was killed on by the police. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So they found her remains. The skull still had the teeth in it with the braces attached. And she was ID'd by dental records. Aww. Uh, it was determined that she died of multiple stab wounds to the chest, Aww. which is the same way that Beverly died. Hmm. Total side note, interesting little fact. Uh, Antonella Matina was one of the first missing persons to go on a milk carton. Oh, I remember those. Mm-hmm. Do they still do that now? I don't think so. I, I Honestly, I don't think so. They should, but I don't think so. Yeah, yeah. This book kind of identifies that he could possibly have been responsible for that right. that murder and abduction. Right. Um, did we find anything else? Yes. There's. Oh, my God. Uh, I know. In his Capri, after the police searched it, they found five black and white photos of young women and a map of Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, with some areas X'd off. And no one has ID'd these women. The pictures will be on our Facebook page and Instagram. Okay. And no one has ever come forward with any information about any of these women. They don't even know who they are? If they exist? Nope. No one's called up and been like, they're me or they're my sister or my friend. No one has ID'd, no information about any of them. Did he take the photos? No, they were like, um, they were like, like wallet-sized yearbook photos, they seemed like, portraits. Wow, weird. Very weird. You have to check those pictures out. Um, they did search the area in Harrisburg that he had marked off, and nothing was found there. So I don't know how meaningful any of it is, but it's definitely odd. I mean, could they odd. have been, like, hunting spots? Because They could have been, because yeah. he did hunt there. So I don't know. Uh, one other sort of random thing. Mm-hmm. Um, on the Capri, the car he was driving in the beginning— the front passenger door was disabled like he had done to Beverly's car. I understand why he did it to Beverly's car, to keep her from getting out, but why would your vehicle... Oh, so his own vehicle... His personal vehicle had the front passenger door disabled. Why would you do that? You would do that if you didn't want someone to be able to get out of your car. Exactly. And why would you not want someone to get out of your car? Right, because you've abducted them, and that, to me, just shows that he's definitely done some other things in the past that we just don't know about yet. This guy was a creep. The book is called Unearthing a Serial Killer. As of right now, Mengel does not really qualify as a serial killer because we only know that he killed Stimulowski and... And Beverly. And Beverly. But if he's connected to any of these crimes, he would technically be classified as a serial killer because the definition is it's someone who commits three or more murders over a month with a cooling-off period in between the murders. Okay. So if we do determine eventually that he could possibly have committed even one more of these crimes, he right. would then be considered a serial killer. He's still considered a sicko to me. Um, yeah. And probably got what he had coming to him. A lot more to this case than what I had originally, a lot more than I had originally known. I mean, to me, it was just... A crazy guy when I was a kid who who killed these two people. But, you know, with this twist, it, it definitely adds a whole nother realm to this case. Thanks for your work, Al. Sure, man. That is the end of the first episode. Please subscribe. Give us reviews. 
send us an email of any cases you want us to cover. Please remember that we're going to hopefully get better the longer we do this. Right. The email is nefariousnewyork at yahoo.com. Okay. Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate it. Places the piscal. <laughs> I said I got the piscal in my, I got the piscal in my waistband, and I was gonna suit. Don't be pulling no piscal on me. <laughs> Thank you. Governor Cuomo. 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 <laughs> Mario Cuomo. Okay.